Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 53, John Kleinbell. Have you been listening to the Songwriting for Guitar podcast? And you know what? I'm getting a lot out of it. I like these episodes. Mike seems like a cool guy. Or even if you don't think I'm cool, and if you think you're just getting a lot out of these episodes and you like them, head on over to Apple Podcasts. And guess what? Leave us a review, a five-star review. Because reviews actually matter. They help bring notoriety to podcasts. We can keep on getting really amazing guests and give you quality episodes every single week. So just head on over to the Apple Podcasts, leave a review, because it's much appreciated. Now, I've known John for years, and he's a fantastic songwriter, producer, and he's produced a ton of artists and gotten songs into major networks, film, commercials, but he's a fantastic educator. And we're going to talk about that progression from uh, being someone that is cultivating all these songs and curating all these songs and building a huge library to eventually finding his way into helping others kind of get into the sphere. And what does that look like? What is that journey like? We're going to talk about the company that he founded called Making Moves in Music and Sync It. So all this episode, we're going to talk about it everything. So if you're interested in producing the concept of songwriting, plus want to understand again a little bit more, I know we talk about it, getting your songs into TV, you got to listen to this episode. So we're just going to dive into it. Episode number 53, John Kleinbell. John, what's up, man? I'm super pumped you're here. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Mike. Oh, dude. So, uh, you know, I want to get into lots of things because I've known you for a while. But, you know, I want to get into the John Files, the backstory <laughs> of how you got into music. Um, and, you know, definitely the things that you're doing now. But I would love to hear your story, you know, you know especially when it comes to songwriting. What was what was the first and, you know, that moment when you realized like, oh, this is the thing I need to start doing. I grew up in a musical household bluegrass music my dad was a folk troubadour and we'd have house parties there'd be lots of music happening lots of creativity lots of arts and crafts and stuff when i was a little kid and at a very early age my sister and i would we weren't writing songs necessarily but we were always writing stories uh just taking those lined notebooks of paper and and drawing our own characters and writing stories and things like that so i think i was always a storyteller to a certain extent and i was also fascinated with music at a very early age, uh, sneaking records uh, as early as I could, you know, when when my parents weren't looking, going over to the record player, putting on the adult headphones, like the gigantic <laughs> headphones and and listening to, to music and also listening to Richard Pryor, which I probably wasn't supposed to be listening to at that age. Uh, but that's another thing. And for me, really, one of the things that bridged me into songwriting, I think, was my interest in the guitar. When I was in high school, I think that's the first time I thought, well, maybe I should play some music because I had always been interested in music, but I never really dove into it and, and thought, well, you know, maybe I could play this instrument or that instrument. And then I saw in a pawn store, I saw like a flying V electric guitar. It was like this black cheesy flying v electric guitar it was probably shot to shit i don't remember the uh the brand on it at all it might have been a no-namer and uh i got one of those little five watt amps and uh i just remember that the 
when I plug it in, it was the, the pots were all scratchy and uh, <laughs> it was a great piece of equipment, but I was having some fun with it. You know, in high school, my sister had learned to play guitar and my sister and I were always a little bit creatively competitive. And I, uh, you know, I, I think it was one of those things where I was like, oh, maybe I should try to play guitar because she'd learned how to play a little bit of acoustic. And and so, yeah, I just uh, that guitar kind of shot out to me as if, uh, you know, this is something you ought to check out. And, uh, and I had fun. I was learning, you know, about how, um, you get the calluses on your fingers and and it hurts a lot and, uh, learning about all that and trying to learn some chords. And, you know, I kind of, uh, (laughs) got sick of it, honestly. And I, I ended up uh, selling it, uh, shortly afterwards. I didn't really use it that much, but when I got to college, I knew I wanted to start a band because I loved to sing. Uh, I'm a much better singer than I am a guitar player. But uh, so when I went to college, I started a band, was fronting a band, uh, alternative rock band. And uh, along the way, I started picking up guitar because I was in my dorm and and thinking, oh, you know, I might like to play some play some songs, some some of my favorite songs at the time. And uh, maybe I could just get online and get some chords and figure out those chords. And for me, it was all self-taught. So grab a guitar. I I think I got one of my dad's guitars out of storage was my first real guitar that I, that I really owned and, and really uh, took good care of and and learned to play. And I got through the, the initial bumps of like uh, the, the pain in the fingers and the, and, and just getting frustrated with like, well, how do you strum? How do you like the whole rhythm of it all was always really hard to me, especially because I think it's one thing to play the guitar, but to synchronize playing a guitar with singing, it's like a whole other skill that you have to develop with the timing of it all. So, oh, it's huge. It's totally yeah. different. Uh, what was your band name? What was your alternate? What was the band name? <laughs> the band was called Tricky Loose and it's L-U-Z, uh, which is Spanish <laughs> for light. It's such a, such a, you know, we, we were all so talented and you brought us together. We, we, there was a little bit of like a Dave Matthews kind of vibe to it. There was a little bit of a Radiohead kind of vibe to it. It was we were all super talented, but we didn't really know how to like work together, and we didn't really know how to write a song that well. Uh, but we loved what we were doing. We recorded an album. We played a ton of shows. It was so fun. And uh, for anybody out there who's in college thinking about starting a band, you've got to do it because there's so many memories. I mean, for me, it was like that was my social life was the band, Uh, the going out for breakfast burritos at two o'clock in the morning after staying up and rehearsing or playing a show and having a good time with that. Uh, It's it's really like and the memories of like the crappy practice space. I mean, the practice space that we were in was like it was literally like an eight foot by eight foot room and the drummer loved the guy, but he had like this Carter Bulford kind of like drum kit with like 20 different drums. And uh, we were all like kind of fanned around him. Uh, There's two guitarists, a bass player and me. And we were all just in there in like this eight by eight foot room uh, playing loud rock music for hours on end. It was uh, just a, you know, to be that close in close proximity is definitely, uh, definitely like a special thing to 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 be able to get that kind of synchronicity with what you're doing. Yeah, uh, as musicians, it was just super fun, super fun for me. It was one of my favorite things about college was having that band, and uh, yeah, we did a couple cool things too. We won a couple local awards, and uh, looking back, it was a really good experience for me. The first dive into songwriting for me. And I wasn't playing guitar on that. I was mostly contributing with lyrics and and obviously like the top line singing stuff. You know, it's one thing to be in a band 
And I can relate being in a band and it's, that's one thing, but then bridging that gap to, you know, I like to think of it as like that Indiana Jones, like last crusade gap to like the Holy Grail, like to like, okay, money with music, money with music. What was that road like for you to go from band to eventually, you know, like six figures in a, in a songwriting career? Very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was a very interesting journey for me. When I left Tucson, uh, I went to Los Angeles and I lived there for 15 years. I, I moved away from L.A. about a year ago. But uh, my main experience in Los Angeles was really a frustrating one of a songwriter trying to figure out, like, find his own voice and uh, find a market and find a lane. And for me, I was going out there. I kind of switched lanes. I wasn't really in a, I wasn't in a band. I wasn't really making rock music so much anymore. It was more acoustic rock based stuff, but it was more also singer songwriter. So for me, it was, it was about finding again, going back to the timing, figuring out how to be like, cause in a lot of cases, uh, being a one man band is how you start out. It's how you start out. For me, a lot of it was busking. I was busking out in the Third Street Promenade, the internationally famous uh, Santa Monica Third Street Promenade. For years, I was out there playing almost all original music uh, when other people were out there. I always like to you know, put this as, as like my is actually kind of dumb looking back, but I was playing only original music and my songs weren't that good, but I got so much better. I got so much better. And and like one of the big things that I got out of that experience of performing on the promenade was just not caring so much about like what people thought about my music because there was this, when I first started out, it was so important for me to like, for, for everybody to stop and listen and, and, and be validated in some kind of way. It's like, who doesn't want to be acknowledged for their creative contributions, especially like as a musician, it's like, it's such a, you, we get such a hit off of it, but it's also, it's not because of that. It's also because like, we really do believe, I think deep down that there's a message that's really important for the world to hear that we really want everybody to hear. So, and I think that at yeah. like everybody else, I was one of those folks and it was so frustrating to me at first to like have people walking by, have somebody like, you know, they have their ice cream, they take a couple licks, they're bobbing their head and then they, they, they maybe put 50 cents in the case and they walk off and, and then, and then I look down the street and I see like uh, somebody playing the same five or six covers and uh, having a big crowd around them. And it, it was like really hard for me back then to not like despair and compare with other yeah. people and what they were doing. But to get back to like the point of like, how did I make that transition from, you know, somebody who wasn't making any money in the music industry to somebody who's doing very well now? For me, it was part, I had to become a much better writer and I had to learn not to do everything myself. I'm just talking about like, these are like, I could talk about this for probably two hours, <laughs> but these are like the keys for me is like, yeah. I had to become a much better songwriter. Uh, I, I didn't do everything myself anymore. And I found a lane. So those three things, I think, were the keys. Well, I, I think those are important keys. And l let's talk about those because, you know, uh, there's the heart of songwriting, which matter. But also, too, there's a point where you realize you're carrying the weight of everything. You're trying to do everything well. And we can't do everything 
well, <laughs> like, you know, something's going to fall. We're going to drop one of the balls and something's going to get half-assed. And then finally, it's just like, people are like, I got songs for what, <laughs> for where is it going to go now? Like for you, what was the, the mechanism, especially like, you know, in that playing songs live, like, uh, they didn't listen to this one. Oh, they listened to this one. This is interesting. Why did they listen to this one? Did you use that? You know, what some people would get negative and be like, ah, you know, fuck that guy. He's listening to the covers. And then you, what, well, what can I do to make them stop? What's something I can do that seems appealing? That's a good question. You know, uh, and, and going back, I never really had the attitude like F those guys. You know, I think I always, I've always had a glass is half full kind of mentality about things. So I think back then I was just more like, wow, I, I lugged this gear and I waited half an hour to park on my space so nobody takes it. And I set up all my stuff and, and I did all that. And then there was one day, I'll, I'd never forget this. Uh, they were doing like some kind of Sprite promotion and they were giving out free bottles of Sprite. And um, there were these high school kids who who liked my music. Like they were they were checking it out, but they were like doing their thing. They were kind of basically like the Third Street Promenade is like an open air mall. And uh, just to give you an idea. So like that's where like high school kids would hang out. Like the malls are no longer like the same way that they used to be. Uh, they're in this open air mall. But anyways, they were going down. They were getting bottles of Sprite, free bottles. And then they'd come back down to my place uh, that I had set up on the promenade and they drops bottles of Sprite into my case. And uh, there were so many times where they did that. Like I literally had a 24 pack of Sprites by the end of the time, but I maybe had like $2 in the case. And it was one of those times where I was like, you know what? You're going to reach people no matter what. So that's the one thing that I, that I think really helped me with yeah. the transition with this is like, it's like your impact on people. You might not be able to see Like I saw it at that time. It was just kind of a humorous thing. I was like, oh, that was great. That was so cool. That, and maybe they were pranking me a little bit, but we were laughing the whole time they were doing it. It was like really, it was like one of the coolest experiences I had playing live because it was like, it was validating in like a, in like a different way than yeah. um, the way I saw it. And I think that's like the big thing is like looking out in the music industry for things being open to where you can succeed and maybe it doesn't look exactly the way that you were expecting it to look. So I don't remember exactly what the original question was, but that's kind of where I started with it. What, what was the end of the question that you had there? Yeah, I guess the end of the question, you know, and really it's just that it's interesting, those three keys. And it's like when you have something like songwriting and you're trying to refine it and like there needs to be something to measure that songwriting. And if you're like, I'm not getting reception. Oh, this song did get noticed by this crowd or it like started to yeah. pull in. And then it's like the analyzing side. Well, what about that song in particular? as opposed to these ones that didn't how did did you ever kind of use some of that as your barometer yeah i think for me i just kind of and this is going to sound a little egotistical but i just kind of knew when yeah. i hit a point where my songwriting was quote unquote good enough where i i think that there was a lot of work for me in particular like some people are probably a lot more talented than i am at songwriting and, and so many other different things uh, i am definitely not the most talented person in any room nor do you need to be the most talented person at anything to succeed in life but you know the thing is like i had to work really hard on my songwriting but there reached a point where i i sat there and i suddenly realized that I could kind of dissect any song I had previously written and for the first time understand why I didn't have that song that went viral, why I didn't yeah. have like some type of reaction like you're talking about, like, like to be able to compare the hits of the day 
with what I was doing and have an understanding uh, with it, that was big for me because then I could, I would have never really been much of a person of going back into back catalog and rewriting stuff. I've probably written a thousand songs in my lifetime and the first 500 of them were awful. Um, <laughs> and it, I mean, it's honestly the truth. And that's, that's one thing for anybody who's a budding songwriter out there, write, 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 just keep writing because if you're anything like me, you're going to write a ton of fucking terrible songs. You're going to write a ton of stuff that's just terrible. And there's no other way for you to get through it other than to have the experience of writing the song and hitting in a way it's like hitting that send button. It's like hitting that complete button. It's done like the, the process of starting something and finishing it. There's something magic with that, especially if you repeat the process, you'll just get a lot better. And so for me, it was part experience, part education. And then at some point, and this happened for me about five or six years ago, it all kind of gelled together. And I realized that my songwriting was at a much higher caliber than it had ever been. And it was actually to a point where it was competitive. And I had a, a really good green light uh, as to where to vent and, and not necessarily vent, but where to, what am I looking for? Where to concentrate my songwriting focus towards to find success. Like I knew that I had a had a place to go with my songwriting to to really like take it up a notch and also be able to see some results from it. You know, you say, you know, in those those three keys, it's like, yeah, the songwriting, knowing not to do everything yourself, but a, a very specific avenue that not, you know, it's important to know the avenue to say yes to. And it's important to know all the avenues to say no to because you're going to say no way more than yes, because you're going to find once you hone in on that area that's all you focus on because you're like that's where it is how did you discover that that area how did you discover that route where it was just like all the other ones you're like man i was just spinning my wheels yeah yeah th that's a uh, one of the more interesting parts of my story is is just kind of how i found that is uh i decided one day i was just going to quit my job <laughs> i literally quit my corporate job i was working at westfield malls in their digital team i loved the job the job was good they paid me well uh i just didn't feel like i had moved to los angeles to pursue that and it wasn't a ladder that i had any interest in climbing and i just decided you know what it's enough it's time I put in my 30 days notice. I went to India for 17 days. Uh, I came back I, I traveled out. By the way, that trip was the first trip I'd ever taken outside North America. And it was life changing. I came back. I just kind of knew that I wanted to learn how to produce music. Uh, when I came back, I just, it landed to me that that was going to be the way forward for me to really be able to, I, I was so prolific as a writer to be able to, put more of those ideas out there into the world. Now, I'm really interested right there. You went to India. What, you know, from your experience, because that is to have, you know, go from corporate America and be like, hey, I'm going to go to India. For I'm just going to hang out here. Did you feel like for a while, especially when you're in that corporate world, everything, there's so much noise. Did you feel for the first time you had clarity? For me, I had purpose more yeah. for the first time. And, and, not to say, and I'm not going to put anybody down who's working a nine to five and, and doing, you know, we all, do, I did it for like 10 years. I did it for 10 years in LA when I was living in the city of where my dreams could come true. I was working a job to pay the bills, the very real bills that I had to pay every month to live in Los Angeles, a very expensive city to live in. But it reaches a point where you, I really do think that 
and I really do believe this with all my heart that I never want to look back when I'm 80 years old and say, what if I woke up every morning with a different purpose in mind? What if I woke up feeling like I could be successful in the music industry? And what if I woke up and acted as if that was the case and just did that every day? And who knows what could happen if I am able to do that. And that's what that was a huge part of the trip for me was realizing that the day to day doldrum of waking up and working a job that had no sole purpose for me. Um, and really I felt like in a way was actually contributing to the decline of society in some type of way. We don't have to get into the politics <laughs> of it, but I really felt that the work I was doing was not helping make the world a better place. And, um, it also just didn't feel like it was me. Like it just wasn't me. And for me to fight the stream of like that, it feels yeah. like there's so many things in life that you can fight. It's like fighting against yourself that's like the worst way to, to like, you know, in a way you can take yourself out. I mean, I feel like you can take yourself out in your life, just not even, not even necessarily like you're going to off yourself or something like that, but it's more like you're, you're living a life that you were never meant to live and you are just like fighting your purpose. So for the first time, when I quit that job, I went to India, had a spiritual trek out there, came back. I felt like I was in the flow of my own journey for the first time and fully embracing it and really like looking out for the lane that I really needed to pursue in order to, again, wake up every morning feeling like I have a directive, feeling like I have a sense of purpose, and then just doing my best every day to show up for that. So you do the trek, you come back and you're like, I'm going to be a producer, which makes sense because... You know, it's one thing to say songwriting, but there's another level of songwriting when you're a producer. Were you also too like one of those people that you heard more of the song in your head? Like you're like, ah, I hear a little bit more. And I think this is what needs to happen. I think that that's a big part of learning to produce is yeah. it's... You know, I don't know, remember who exactly said this. Maybe it was B.B. King. It's it, it's like, you know, very late on in his life saying this, that like I've just gotten to the point where if I think of something in my head, I can I can play it as I'm thinking of it. And I think with production, it's a little like that. It's like I hear this awesome thing in my head. How can I get that to translate into actual drums? How can I get that to translate into the guitars or the keys or uh, whatever it is, the vocals? How do I get that vision that I have, that thing that I really want to create? How do I get that to actually show up on the computer screen? And that just takes time. It takes it takes a lot of time. Uh, but that's there's a big songwriting component to that because that creative process can actually, you don't have to, the thing that's magic about being a producer is you don't have to actually have the song written before you get started with it. Yeah, that that is huge. And so you get into that realm, you come back and you start building your craft because it's one thing, you know, just you said like, you know, here was 500 songs that were awful. And then I feel like when I took on production, it was like, Oh, here's another group of songs that are awful because I'm figuring out what my process is. Like, you know, how is that, you know, going along the way, having mentors, having people that kind yeah. of guide you and be like, hey, here's some things to do. Here's some things to just totally avoid. Or it's like, this is getting better. Eh, that could be a little bit better. What were those people to you in your life? 
they were everything to me and they still are. I'm, I'm learning all the time. And I, and I, I lean on my friends who are also a lot of times my collaborators and I uh, feel like we're all kind of walking in the same direction in a way, but it's, you know, it's tough at first for me anyways, it was so tough because I was trying to learn to do like 50 things at once. I was trying to learn two different DAWs. I was trying to learn when I was first starting to produce, I was trying to learn two different DAWs. I had some nice hardware stuff, the outboard stuff. I was trying to figure out how does that even work? How do I patch it in? Like, why am I not getting the signal out of this Apollo? That's probably a little more complicated than I needed at the time. And, uh, you know, it was just a lot of stuff to bring in somebody into that process and like, Oh, hang on a sec. Let me see if I can get the, the mix to route to the headphones so that you can also hear what it is that you're singing while you're singing it in my little vocal booth in the corner over there in my studio project studio that I've set up in a band lockout space. That's like, you know, just like kind of crazy in its own way. It was so, so funny looking back at where things started for me in terms of the space I was working in, but there's a lot of, a lot of parts that were just like, felt like they were moving around. felt like there's a lot of stuff that was really elusive to me at first. If it wasn't for the people that I brought, some of them I brought in as experts to kind of, and I paid them to, to show me some stuff. I also went out, got some education around how to produce, how to like, what's the process? How do you use a compressor? I had no idea how to use a compressor and I owned a compressor. Like I had no idea how it worked. And I, and I had this nice compressor that I still have this day. It's like my favorite piece of outboard gear, the, the tube tech CL1B, but I really didn't have any idea how to use it. It was a lot of figuring out like, uh, who who you learn to trust certain people because they teach you things and then you become friends with them. And then honestly, some of those things where I was learning stuff from people, then I was starting to work on projects with some of those people. And it's, it's an amazing thing because then, and that's where mentorship can really come in too, is that once you start down that path with somebody, it can really go way above and beyond like, you know, teacher student. It's more like, uh, colleague. It, it can get to a point where it's colleague. And, and actually some of those, in some cases, there've been a couple of connections that I've made over the last five or six years while learning to produce that have literally been game changers in terms of like just some of the success that I've had in the music industry, because I've collaborated on projects, successful projects with some folks that uh, I wouldn't have been able to get my foot in the door 10 years ago, you know, but it's like, when you go down that path, you start like saying, this is what I want in my life. I'm waking up. I'm again, I'm, I'm not doing this perfectly. I'm just going to show up and do the best I can today to show up for this that I really want in my life. It seems a lot of the times for me, those doors that seemed always like very like, it's like, well, how do you get inside that door? I, for, for years, I wondered about that. I was out there busking and playing shows and doing the whole thing where you had to like sell a hundred tickets to something and, you know, ridiculous down on the, down on the, the sunset strip. And it was impossible to sell a hundred tickets, right. To your friends and all that stuff. Like if you don't have a huge following already, which, you know, most people who book those shows, they don't have a huge following because nobody wants to book those shows. <laughs> and you get $2 per ticket. And then you're like, that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Yeah. That doesn't yeah, really it do looks that awesome. Much. Right. But then you realize, Oh wait, I'm going to, I, and I've certainly had a couple like back when I was playing shows all the time, I certainly had a couple of shows where I was in the red on those. Um, but it's like, you do what you got to do. You got to do it. You think that that's like how you're going to break through. But the thing that's funny is that might be some people's way in, but for me, it wasn't. And I think a big part of that was because I, I think I was really trying too hard. 
Yeah. I think I was trying too hard. I was trying to find the shortcut. I was trying to, and I was not realizing enough how much of a people business the music industry is. Here's the other reason why, Mike, that you can't do everything yourself is because it doesn't benefit you from a business perspective. I think you're right. It is a huge, that's the thing that people don't, you know, people say, read books. Oh, it's about networking. No, this is a huge, it, it is all about the connection. It's about, about making connections, building bridges, not burning them, um, not torching, torching, you know, what is it? Seinfeld, I think George talks about like torching bridges, was like flame on. And it's not just, and some people are like that, but you know, for you, you know, your journey of constant, it seems like refinement and like kind of narrowing it down and then just like, okay, well, what do I have to do for this next step? And just so what you said before, like, you know, not worrying about like, oh, this is what I need to do like three years from now. This is what I need to do. It's just like, okay, this is what I have to do today. I have to show up today. That's the thing I know. The constant is it's today and I have to show up and I have to do what I can. Absolutely. That's, that's the best chance I feel. And and I think some of it's like, I got to tune out the distractions because there's distractions that are competing for your attention all the time. There's different hacks that I've developed that have really helped me from a project management, time management, like making sure I have the right mindset around all this, uh, to be able to show up every day the best I can. But it's, uh, that's, it's, that's really, it's, it's not like make friends, do cool stuff, be honest in your business and just keep showing up. I mean, honestly, that that right there. If I were able to go back in time, put my arm around my put put a put a put an arm around the shoulder of myself as I was out there on the promenade and and kind of give give John Kleinbell from a from a much younger time a a little uh, pep talk. I think those are the things I would have would have gone back and said to him um, in terms of just like this is the way, you know? Yeah, and. As you developed this, eventually you found your niche. You're kind of like, this is where my songs are going to land. So when this came to licensing, when was the first one that you realized like, oh, shit, this is like, this is legitimate money? Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I ended up uh, when I started. So I started producing mm-hmm. and I realized early on that I needed to have, I couldn't just like, oh, I'm just going to make music I because I knew that wasn't going to work. I had to have some what was the plan for making money? Yeah. And for me, I was, I had my antenna up. My antenna were up. They were like, uh, looking for opportunities. And of course, you know, on Craigslist, like, look at, oh, there's bands that want to want to record. But it seemed like most of those types of situations, there's a lot of studios in LA and seemed, some of them seemed a lot better than my setup. And they were charging like 30 or $40 an hour. And I was like, well, you know, that seems okay, but it doesn't seem like that's, that's really good money. You know, for especially for living in LA, you know, it's a, so I was like, you know, that's, that's cool. And, 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 but I saw, I got an email from somebody uh, who booked the room five. It was a cool singer songwriter joint. I don't think it's open anymore, but, um, in, uh, off La Brea and, uh, they were saying there's uh there's somebody who's had a lot of success in film and TV licensing and would like to teach a workshop and uh, it's a limited workshop. You got to, got to get in. Cause this thing, it's like, I remember it was like the summer of 2015 or something like that. And uh, it just sounded really cool. Sounded a little too good to be true. 
but I was like, <laughs> what do I have to lose? You know? And yeah. so I was like, ah, oh, F it. I'll, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, I, I paid for the workshop, uh, I show up and I, my mind was kind of blown because I realized there was a real opportunity there. And, uh, it wasn't shortly, I ended up taking a few more workshops on licensing after that. And I just realized that that was the lane that I really wanted to, I just made a decision, Mike, I was just like, I'm doing this. And then, uh, over the course of like the next year ended up, I didn't actually produce the songs that I had like the first success with, but uh, I was learning to produce as I was going along my songwriting. Again, it got to a level where it felt like it was competitive. I felt like I was able to walk into rooms and, and really be an equal collaborator on stuff and ended up just having some really awesome collabs in 2016, ended up landing, uh, had an agency start to rep me and that was huge. And within like the first three months of that agency deal, I, uh, I had a international Starbucks ad that landed. And it, for me, it was like, I mean, it's just like you never, cause you hear about this and you're like, Oh, there's, it's lucrative. It's, yeah. uh, you, the potential's there for millions of people to hear your voice and, uh, for it to actually, for somebody to call me up and say over the phone, you know, congratulations, there's this amazing thing that Starbucks wants to do with you. They want to ha- feature your song. And there wasn't even a voiceover on the ad. It was just my voice and the, and the music. And it was a 15 second spot. They did like 16 or 17 different variations of it. It was airing for like two thirds of the year. It was a massive ad. Uh, it was the biggest ad I've ever had by, by the way, it was like, I, for me, I like had like one of the biggest placements I've ever had uh, was the very first one that I got. And uh, so for me, to, sh- to hear that it was crazy. And then I remember going, it was a, you know, I think I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was, uh, one of my nephew's birthdays. I was driving out to Arizona to, uh, for that. And I remember at the truck stop that's near the Arizona, California border, there's a couple of them, but I, anyways, I, I walked into one of those and I was getting a soda. I was at a fountain, the soda fountain and, uh, those televisions, they always have televisions in, uh, yeah. stop it. They, they, it's like, they, it's just, it's not anything in particular, just some television having something going on. It's just seems like that's yeah. something that they do there, uh, in truck stops, but <laughs> there was a random TV in the truck stop. And I was like, wait a second, that's my voice. And I turned around and, and sure enough, the air, the ad was airing like on this television. And then that was when for me, it really sank in that for me was like the, some people are like the bands, they, they hear their music on K rock for the first time. And they're like, Holy crap, that was cool. And, and that was like, I kind of made it, you know, for me, I realized at that second, I, it had hit, home finally for me because i think in a certain way i didn't really i was like oh that's cool this is awesome this is massive and apparently a lot of people are hearing it but for me to actually see it in like some place that was like just totally random it made me realize the power of licensing it's like all my dreams have come true in a way my voice has been heard singing a positive message by millions of people now yeah. And that, that can't be taken away. It's like, honestly, over the last like couple of years, I thought to myself, you know what? I feel like I've made it. And I feel like everything that I set out to do 15 years ago in the music industry, it doesn't look exactly the same as I thought it would. But actually, in a way, it's like way better. It's exactly what I was supposed to do. I love that. That idea that it's like, it, you know, this is what it was supposed to look like, you know, and if I had gotten my way, I don't think I would like it. But the universe knew exactly what I needed and this was it. And that's so good. And then, you know, then your success just keeps on going. And then you are now the mentor to others. Like, you know, yes. catch the moon. 
uh, and then making moves in music, you're 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 mentoring people because I think it's one thing when you acquire the knowledge, but when you share the knowledge, that's a whole different level. I love doing it. I I really do love teaching. It really. My dad was a teacher, naturally gifted teacher, and uh, I just I I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. My great grandfather was also a teacher. It's just in the family and it's, I love helping people. So for me, it was one of those things. Once I started to have success in the music industry, it was really like, I just saw it as an opportunity to pass along what I've gotten and, and have fun and meet new people. And it's, it's just really like an amazing adventure to be able to teach about music licensing with catch the moon. And I still do that. Uh, to a certain extent, and then also to create my group, Make Moves in Music, where I'm really creating content for budding music entrepreneurs who want to earn money in the music industry in all different kinds of ways with their songwriting, their production, their session work, all of it. You name it. I love it. So if they're listening, they're like, this sounds good. John, where I can where can I find you and what can I do? Yeah, well, I've got a podcast. It's called Make Moves in Music. You can find it at the M3 Podcast. Actually, you were a guest very recently on there. So uh, I don't know when this episode is going to air. But uh, yeah, Mike was a, a guest on my podcast very recently. And uh, I love doing that. Having lots of awesome fun. Uh, having great guests in for that. I also have a private Facebook group. You can just look up Make Moves in Music. There's a group you could join it's free uh we have a lot of fun in there there's lives i i host zooms in there where we do listening sessions that are focused on some of them are focused on production some of them are focused on songwriting some of them may be focused on licensing it's all aiming to give you the tools that you need whatever it is that you need to to get your music up to a competitive level and then figuring out like all the various ways in which you can exploit your masters and you can really go out go to town in terms of like flipping the switch from learning to earning because i think that is a thing for people they can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn but when do they actually start making money it's like that's what i really want to help people do and i love that because you're showing them all the different avenues that are possible because you know like you and i when we realized wait a minute this is a thing it's it's yeah. like you don't have to go off of this old template of what you think is the only way that you can succeed in music. But there are so many other avenues that are needed. And that's the thing, too. There are people that are actively <laughs> looking for people to deliver the music that they need. And when you realize that and how you can serve someone and still not sacrifice your voice, you can still be your yeah. authentic self, but actually help out. And if you can then earn a living that you enjoy, why wouldn't you do it? It's possible to make a good living in the music industry. You just can't be tied to exact outcomes because at least from my experience, it's it often your gifts will manifest in products and services that might not align with your current thinking. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think that sometimes it's about changing your thinking around the gifts that you have and the passions that you do have. Because a lot of times, once you do that, you can see, oh, it's almost like you're looking on a grid and you're like, I can do this and I love doing this and I love doing this and I love doing this. This is where the opportunity is, opportunity, opportunity. Where do those intersect? And then it's almost like you're you're figuring out, oh, okay, these are the opportunities that I should be most looking out for. And and like that's part of the, I think that's part of it all is figuring out how, how those two things can play together. And they do. They, they play together. And there's a lot of different ways in which you can earn that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily like, they don't really know that you can do it a certain way or another way. Like I didn't know about licensing until about five years ago. Now it's like everybody knows about it, but it's a, uh, you know, it was something that 
even five years ago, like relatively few people knew about. There's stuff even today that like people don't really know that much about. And I'm always interested in learning. Like I want to create rooms about NFTs because I want to like really know about what, what that's all about. Because I know that there's a lot of ways that you can make money right now in the NFT space. It's always evolving. And I think that's the thing that you're great at is realizing like there's always more. There's always a next step and things will always evolve. Yeah. And I, I think that's what you're just great at just we're always, we're never going to stop being students. Even the people that are like helping others are always like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I'm always nervous when a teacher is like, I've done it all. <laughs> like this is, this is where I stopped. It's like, oh, okay. So that's where you stopped. Oh man. <laughs> you know, it, it, sorry. I might, might interject here for just a second. One of the things that frustrated me to no end when I was in college was the professors that uh, the criticism classes, yeah. and even like production classes, like the film, I was in uh, sort of film school media arts college and uh you know the new media professor or the w professor who designs websites or the professor who was a filmmaker but they decided they were just going to be a critic instead i think it's like there's so many people out there that like they they, they can't they can't make it and so they're just like it, it, it's just frustrating to hear them because they like a negative attitude about the industry it's obvious from the way they talk and uh it's just not a not a good situation to involve yourself with those kind of people. So that's that's exactly the opposite of like what I want to create in the community that I've built. And I know you're you're on the same wavelength there. That's why I, I love being on this podcast, man. Dude, this was awesome. Thanks for taking the time, John. This was so fun. So awesome. Thanks for uh, having me on and uh, talk to you sometime soon, man. And that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Vifalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.